0: It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good everybody? Welcome back to episode number seven of Destination Dynasty. As always, I am your gracious host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. For now, I should say. We'll see what happens with that platform going forward. We're gonna to continue tonight with our roster construction series. Last week we talked about wide receivers. Tonight we're gonna to continue and talk about tight ends. This is going to be one of those shows, it's going to be a little shorter, only because there's only so much you can cover when you're talking about tight ends. I'm going to also talk about the positional advantage, uh, differences between different tight end formats. I get a lot of questions about, well, tight end premium, what does that mean from a roster construction standpoint? And it's a good question. I think it's one of those questions that you can sum up pretty quickly, but you also have to dive into the data and get some of the nuances in terms of what the settings are, how many roster spots all that kind of stuff to really figure it out. Because I will say there is an optimal, which I'll talk about tonight, but then there are many leagues where people will say, well, Scott, I'm in leagues with you, and maybe the settings are slightly different, but my roster construction may be different. I may be violating some of these same principles that I'll talk about. And I'll get into that and why it might make sense, given how volatile the tight end position, and it's really only continuing this year. I'll talk about the 2022 data as well. It's very, very simple, to get caught up in this idea of what optimal roster construction looks like from a tight end standpoint until you're in the midst of a season and you find yourself either in a position where you don't have enough tight ends and you're trying to stream. It sounds great when you're able to say, oh, I'm just going to platoon between these two players. But then you get into reality and you say, all right, I'm constantly searching for something more than that, which means I may be rostering a little bit more in terms of roster spots allocated. To the tight end position. So we'll talk about that as well. I'll dive into some of the RAS data. Um, I will point everybody to a YouTube video that I did over the summer called Dynasty Leverage, talking about tight ends, RAS scores, all of that kind of stuff. I think it still holds some water. Uh, But otherwise, I'm going to point everybody to that. I don't want to rehash all of that data for another show here, but I'll touch on it in this podcast. But check out that video that I did over the summer. Again, it's on Dynasty Leverage. It should be under Dynasty and Chill on YouTube. Just search Dynasty Leverage and Tight Ends, and it should pop up. And a lot of the same stuff in terms of the RAS data and predictiveness is highlighted in that video. So something I wanted to touch on uh, just before we go further with this roster construction series is it was important to think about some of these things, not just from the wide receiver threshold or each position, or I think even further when it comes to your league market. You know, that's something that we talk about all the time, your league economy, your league market. We discuss in the Heisman group all the time about in your given league, what's going on? What is the structure of your league? What is the typical manager in terms of how they behave? How do they value fit picks? How do they value players? What's the current like competitive balance? Are there a couple stack teams? Uh, are there teams that are really, really at the bottom and they're they're basically willing to feed into some of these monster teams that are already being creative? Is it a really casual league? Is it a league of all degenerates and hardcore players? Is it an active league in terms of there being weekly transactions for the spot starts? Eric and I talk about that all the time on America's Game. Like what type of league is it? And I mean that from the behavior of all the other managers, because again, we can talk about, you know, what values are, what's optimal, but then you get into your league and you go, well, it doesn't make sense to maybe do that in my league as aggressively because of X or because of Y. And I think that's something else that we have to think about going forward as shows like this come out, as more people start talking about this stuff. And it's not just talking in a niche spot on a podcast where very few people are listening. Because there's this stuff really isn't anything brand new. It's been out there. A lot of other people have talked about it, studied it, written articles on it, actually executed it, but never on a large scale like it is today. To where most people, what I've found is a lot of people, in fact, most people are at least thinking about this stuff more than they did a few years ago. It's much more now about it makes sense from positions or strategy or using picks at the right times or having my roster construction a certain way. All of those things, I think, go through the average Dynasty player's mind more than they did two or three years ago. And even before then, it was all about picking the right players. It was trying to use analytics and film or whatever to pick who the best players are going to be. Now, there is a place for that. To a degree, we still all do that but that isn't what's winning or losing. I'm very confident in saying if all you have from an edge perspective is I have a way, whether it's film, analytics, a combination of both, whatever, I have a better shot at picking players than you do, that is not an edge. I think we would all agree that is not an edge. And it may be an edge to you at the very beginning, But as there's more content out there, especially if you are a content creator, you don't have an edge in picking players. You know, ask anybody that's out there talking about the players they like, people that do scouting, people that run analytics that say, all right, I'm going to tell you what players are going to be good, what players aren't. If they're a content creator, you have the masses adopting that immediately. In fact, you have the masses putting all of that together and having like a conglomerate of data together saying, you know what? I really respect Ray, your process, your rankings, how you arrive at conclusions on what players to pick. But I have a ton of other people that I'm also taking their same information and putting it together. And I have like accumulation of data now to say, all right, I'm gonna use this to determine what A, I think other people are going to do, but B kind of predicting what the market's gonna be. And that's much more powerful than just saying, I have a process, I can pick all the right players, I can pick all the right players that are gonna be good, I can pick out the ones that are gonna be bad. Here's the thing. We've seen people be successful doing that, but then they get to the NFL and we can't project their usage necessarily. We can't predict injuries. We can't predict the week to week variance. We can't predict how a coach is going to see a player, how they're going to run a backfield, who's going to get targets, how they're going to run the offense. There's so many variables that go into just saying I can pick the right players. That is, I think, a losing strategy to say that is my edge. But I think the other thing to think about is as this becomes more prevalent, as the average Dynasty player is approaching the game more from like a system perspective, like this is a math equation. I talk about that all the time. This is a math equation. I'm trying to solve for as many variables as I can and do it with as little effort as possible. That way I can just kind of create this system that runs itself. And that's why we talk about roster construction. That's why we talk about pick liquidation and the timing of assets all across the 24-hour, the 365, every day of the year dynasty season. So when you get to that point where everyone is now thinking about that stuff, everybody is thinking with an overarching strategy. Everybody else is using a degree of game theory to try to win their dynasty league. And then what's your edge? And I think your next level of edge isn't going to be just roster construction, isn't just going to be pick liquidation, isn't just going to be roster flexibility and all these things that we talk about. It's going to be able to read your competition or being able to read everybody else in your league. You know, let's assume I get in a league. I talked about this with Adam and Mike. Uh, We talked about this a couple weeks back. Like, If I'm in a league and everybody else is me, how do I beat them? If everyone's playing the game in a similar manner to me, maybe not exactly me, but they all have a strategy. They all are thinking about things going, all right, I'm agnostic to which players I have here. Really, I'm all just looking at values and I'm looking at how to win from the intrinsic side of my roster construction and my pick liquidation and the timing of assets and all of that stuff. How do I beat that person? Because everything that I'm talking about then isn't really an edge. And how quickly can I identify something that's going on in my given league, not in the dynasty space, in a given league to say, okay, it's pretty clear that this league has caught up to where I was a year or two ago. So what I was doing then isn't going to work now. It's not going to be the same edge. So how am I able to zag or zig or zag, whatever you want to call it, within the scope of my league and change it up? And this is where some of this stuff becomes tricky because I can sit here and say, all right, part of my process is data-based. Part of my process is about roster construction and pick liquidation. I mean, I talk about those two things all the damn time. But when everybody is then doing that, is it really an edge? You know, let's say it was a 10% edge against the average person in my league until over half the league started to do it. So now I'm in the majority, not the minority, and it's really not as big of an edge if it's only an edge over a couple people. Instead of it used to be, it used to be an edge over seven or eight people in my league. Now it's only an edge over three or four people. So it's diminished. And even if what I'm doing, even if this strategy that I'm talking about, let's just say it's roster construction. Let's say my roster construction is almost perfectly dialed in as to what I want it to be. But another seven people in my league out of 12 are doing that as well. So it used to be an edge where, man, I was only one of two or maybe one of three in the league doing it. Now I'm one of eight. My edge has been diminished. And now I have this conflict where I know that what I'm doing is optimal, but I'm also not getting the benefit of doing what's optimal anymore because everybody's doing it. So now how do I take that? and separate myself from the other seven or eight people that are doing it? And I think that's the next level thinking. And and a lot of times we're now down to a point where this isn't high arcing dynasty strategy anymore. This is, I need to read my individual league and I need to be able to adapt on the fly and figure out what everybody else is doing pretty quickly. Not until it's too late, not until it's the end of the season and it's like, man, I just got beat. How did I get beat? It's too late. You know, I need to be able to figure this stuff out on the fly, either before the season or while it's happening to me during the season and adapt and be able to go the other way and be able to take a strong stance in whatever direction it takes to get me out of just being one of the others that's doing the same thing from roster construction or pick liquidation or anything like that. So just keep that in mind. I'm not going to get too much more into it tonight, but I think that that's an important topic, that that is the new edge or the new era of advantage that's next in my prediction in Dynasty is being able to essentially outthink the other people in your league. Because information is no longer an edge. Even data or strategy like we're talking about in some of these shows isn't as big of an edge as it was before. And I predict that within a year or two, you're going to see even a lot more people doing this type of stuff, especially as there's more data available. We've seen more Dynasty leagues being formed. We've seen a lot of places that have dynasty leagues that are all very, very similar. So we're going to be able to start getting like mass data from places like safe leagues and whatnot to where it's like, all right, here are trends we can actually use. So just keep that in mind that the ability to kind of read your league mates and read your league and get ahead of that, even if it's having to go against the grain of what you know is optimal, I think is going to be an edge that's going to be forthcoming where if you're ahead of it, that's the next big edge in dynasty over the next couple of years. So with that, let's get into some of the data. You know, I could rant and ramble about that topic all night, but I did want to cover some tight end data and specifically from a roster construction standpoint. So just to rehash and go back to listen to the first episode, because I really kind of lay a foundation as to what format I'm talking about. So specifically, when we're talking roster construction, I'm using a 12-team Superflex League PPR scoring, start 10 with 28-man rosters. And I assumed that the starting lineup that we're going to use as the default was one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, a tight end, two flexes, and a super flex with 18 bench spots. And the assumption was that every single time, every single week, you want to be starting a quarterback in both your quarterback spot, obviously, but also in your super flex spot. So it leaves you with essentially... Roster constructing around those other 26 spots. And I talked about last week on the first episode with wide receivers, the wide receiver threshold, how to calculate it, and really why right now where we stand in Dynasty today, it is like the core tenet of teams um, outside of the elite quarterbacks. And we're not going to talk quarterbacks in this episode, but really the foundation of your roster in terms of that wide receiver threshold, I think is important. To knock that out, until you have that covered, it makes your roster feel like it's really, really off balance. And so I think I talked about lastly, the optimal number, let's call it somewhere between like eight or nine wide receivers within that threshold. I think nine is probably where I would want to shoot to be. But even if you're at eight, you're okay. So if we operate under that assumption, and we're going to talk tight ends tonight, if we operate under that assumption, let's say we've already kind of built our roster out. And we are going to use, for purposes of this show tonight, we're going to use eight that we've already plugged in for our wide receiver threshold. So we already have eight receivers on our roster, and they're all within the threshold. And really, if you're talking optimal, you really don't want to go over that eight number. If you go over that eight, like I talked about at the end of last week's show, when you go over that eight, Then you have the ability to start looking at, okay, how do I liquidate? And you can either liquidate in one of two ways. You can trade a receiver for draft picks, or you can take one of your receivers, package them with a draft pick, or package them with something else, reduce your number down to that eight, and try to get value at another position, especially if you're going to be targeting a positional advantage, either at tight end, or at running back, or at quarterback. Because obviously those are the three other spots. You don't necessarily want to be fishing around for other receivers. You can pivot from receiver to receiver and pick up some extra value. But I think the point is, once you're above the eight number, now you don't have to necessarily do this, but once you're above the eight number, you can start thinking about, okay, I have enough excess here where I can start liquidating. I can start trying to improve my other spots. But I think that's the core tenant is hitting that wide receiver threshold, establishing that number, and getting to that point. So let's assume just for purposes of this, we're already at that point. So what does my tight end roster construction look like? And I'm going to talk about just PPR because PPR was the default, but I'm also going to talk about some tight end premiums as well. I'm going to talk about the difference between like just PPR and then 1.5 PPR and then 1.75 slash 2.0 PPR. Because when you start getting into those formats, obviously the roster construction is going to be a little different. And if you can think about why that would be, it's because the flex threshold is a little bit different. So you start getting to places where there's going to be an equilibrium to where you start saying, okay, tight ends actually can fit into the flexes at a rate that's just as high as what I talked about with the wide receivers last week, right? Like I went through the math and talked about the wide receiver threshold and why it's dominant to always have wide receivers in those flexes until you get to a certain point until you get to a point and you say, okay, now I can start considering potentially putting tight ends in those places. And tight ends start eating into the flexes just a little bit. So there becomes that flexion point, and I'll talk about where that is, where you don't necessarily need as many receivers. You can almost look at tight ends and receivers as basically the same thing once you get to a certain point in the tight end premium. So I want to talk about that a little bit uh, and then go through kind of the current ADP at tight ends and discuss really how to build tight end rooms. And I think this is where preference comes into play, but then also market price comes into play, because I think we all would know we would want to chase the significant positional advantage at tight end, but what price is good? And in what league should I maybe be chasing that more than others? So we'll talk about that uh, to end the show tonight. So let's just start by establishing some data baselines. And I'm going to use the last five years worth of data to talk a little bit about These flex points or this tight end data, where really what we're trying to figure out here is the first thing we have to know is in what formats do tight ends basically not just become a standalone, mutually exclusive position? And what I mean by that is I talked about last week, and you're just talking PPR, so we're going to start there. I talked about what those flex numbers were and what those wide receiver one, two, three numbers were. And when you compare that to the tight end position, you look specifically at the average points per game or the median average in that first flex spot, if we're talking about the format that I laid out. The 12-team start 10 PPR with three receivers and two flexes. So in just PPR, that flex threshold or that median average replacement value in that first flex, that number is around 11.93 points per game over the last five years. So the tight end one, or the only starting tight end spot, the median average there is 11.86, which means clearly you do not have enough tight ends in a one tight end league where it's just PPR scoring. You do not have enough tight ends that ever get over into those flex spots. So when you think about this, you look at the, the tight end distribution relative to all the other positions And really what it says is you never want to flex a tight end unless they are above that threshold. So if you just take those numbers, so the 11.93 being the replacement value in the first flex, and then 11.86 being the replacement value at the tight end position itself, so you look at it this season, you in theory would need more than 12 tight ends to exceed that 11.93 or that flex number. For you to say that I would ever want to consider putting them in a flex. This year, you only have five tight ends that have hit that number. So it's rare. You don't see many tight ends that exceed that in PPR. And if you do, you know that you have them. You know, this is Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, Dallas Goddard, TJ Hawkinson, and Zach Ertz this year. And you have two guys, TJ Hawkinson and Zach Ertz, which really are right on the fringe of that number. And Dallas Goddard actually, too, is only at 13 points per game. But this is just an example of this year where you would look at those three, who is the current tight end three, four, and five, and you would say they are really not even that flex-worthy in a regular PPR league. And so what does that tell you? That basically tells you that the only value you're getting in a PPR league at tight end is trying to hit replacement level and doing it as cheap as possible. That's the first option. The second option is to chase as much of an advantage within that one required starting tight end spot as you can. And we talk about that a lot with the warp, right? We talk about how the elite elite tight ends have the highest warp in the league just relative to the rest of the field at their position simply because they're really not able to be matched by anybody else. And it's really, really hard to match them if you're just picking a random player. And that's the other thing. It's not even that... They can't be matched by many others. It's that all of those others, even when you go down right below Mark Andrews, so you go from Dallas Goddard at tight end three, all the way down to like Cole Komet at tight end 17, and you're basically down only about three points per game difference. So you almost look at that range and it's like that is the classic tight end dead zone. And you hear that. That's reflected in the way we value tight ends. That's reflected in the way that we play tight ends. And so that's why I'm big on this is my basic tight end strategy in a PPR League. One, we talked about those roster spots, right? I never want to allocate more than three roster spots on a tight end in a PPR League. You could almost argue that two would be the most optimal, but because there's injuries, because there's bye weeks, I would say three is probably the sweet spot. Now, the idea being with those three, I never want to intend on flexing them. So I really never want to have a tight end room where I go, okay, I have two tight ends that I need to play every single week. So if you find yourself in that pattern and you go, I have George Kittle and Mark Andrews on a PPR league, you're probably tempted to say, you know what, I'm going to just play them together. And if you think about that, really what you're doing is you're probably overvaluing the name like George Kittle and you're thinking you want to flex him. But really, the math says you probably don't want to be flexing a tight end in that format. In fact, unless you know you have Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews, you probably don't want to flex them ever in this format. So keep that in mind. Now, part of the power of playing this way, if you don't have Mark Andrews, if you don't have Travis Kelsey, if you're not in the midst of hitting on a tight end, that's giving you a big time positional advantage is to think about platooning them to think about how can I gain an edge without having to go pay the market price for Travis Kelsey, for Mike Andrews. This is something that you've seen change over the last year or two. People are starting to value this positional advantage more. Now, maybe they don't articulate it right in an article or in a podcast, but you see it. I get a lot of questions on Dynasty Trades in five. We talk about one quarterback. And really, if you look at the data, the data says like, yeah, I don't really want to pay for elite quarterbacks because I only have to start one. However, when someone says, what should I pay for Jalen Hurts? And you think about the positional advantage he can give you relative to whatever you might be replacing them with cheap. So say you have Kirk Cousins and you can upgrade to Jalen Hurts. You may say, you know what? There's no scarcity. Why would I pay for Jalen Hurts? That's the way I used to play it. Until you start looking at the numbers and you go, man, if I hit on one of those elite quarterbacks, I'm literally getting a 50% advantage over the average streaming team, the team that just throws in a Dak Prescott or just throws in a Kirk Cousins. So then you say, I have to probably pay more. And I think we started to adjust to that. It's the same at tight end. You hear it all the time. Once you lock in one of these positional advantage guys, Not only the guys that have the higher averages, but the guys you know in any given week, you know, Mark Andrews can go eight for 150 and two touchdowns. Travis Kelsey can do the same thing. There's only a couple tight ends that literally are physically capable of that week to week. And you also know that even if you ride some lows with some of these bad tight ends, that if you hit on one of those spike weeks, if you hit on one of those Mark Andrews 35-point games— The odds that you're going to lose that week is is so extremely low because you have literally just lapped the field. Pretty much every team in the league, you have 5X them in terms of their production at tight end that given week. So think about that. But we've inherently adjusted the prices on some of the elite tight ends in Dynasty for that reason. So it's important to think about if you can't get those guys and you've tried to speculate on what the cost might be, then you have to go another route you know, the price is too high to get Travis Kelsey. Someone says they want two first to get him. All right, well, I want the positional advantage, but I'm not going to pay two first to get a guy like Kelsey. They're probably a little undervalued. I would think if you went through and plugged them into like trade calculators, I'm betting that the price that's in there is probably more reflective of the points per game and the market than it is the positional advantage. So I'm guessing they're probably a little bit undervalued uh, in different trade calculators and whatnot. But once you get too far above, then you say, okay, how can I potentially match the guy that has Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey and won't trade them for a reasonable price? I've tried. you know, I've tried to understand the positional advantage and I've made offers, but they will not budge. And to a degree, they're probably pretty smart to not budge. It's a big advantage. It's hard to replicate anywhere else. So how do you beat that? So here's the other strategy in PPR. You look at Guys that are within that dead zone that I called it, right? So like that second tier of tight ends, the the tight ends that you would say low end tight end one, high tight end two, it really extends all the way down to like you know tight end three, four through tight end 20-ish. I want to look for a way to platoon in that range. And when I mean platoon, honestly, what I typically like to try to do is I first try to find guys in that range. I want to get two of them, if not three of them. I want to get them at the cheapest price because, again, the market isn't on the other person's side if they're selling those players because there's so many of them. There's more tight ends in that range that need to be in a lineup across the league, so they should be somewhat attainable. Once I figure that out, then I'm going to try to stack with the current quarterbacks that I have on my roster. That's how I play it. If I have Joe Burrow, guess who I want in that range? I want Hayden Hurst. If I have Josh Allen, guess who I want in that range? I want Dawson Knox. If I have two attack of Iola, guess who I want in that range? I want Mike Gusecki. It's that simple. Because really, you can sit there and say, well, I would prefer TJ Hawkinson to Hayden Hurst, but you can also sit there and say, I would rather pay the same price, but I'd also try to get as much upside built into that spot as possible. And the next best upside, rather than just saying, well, Hayden Hurst has more upside than Dawson Knox, because that's not true. I'd much rather just correlate with the quarterbacks that I already have. So again, if I have Josh Allen and Joe Burrow, and I don't have Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey, or maybe you can squint and say Dallas Goddard, if I don't have that, let me stack. Let me literally just go and stack. I don't care who else I have. You know, if I have Dalton Schultz, and I can get Hayden Hurst, I don't care. If it stacks and it makes sense, it doesn't matter who I have in that range. That's how I play it. And that's how I would play it in PPR. And again, from a roster construction standpoint, I want to have three. I want to try to have at least one stack, if not two stacks. So if I have Josh Allen and Joe Burrow, Dawson Knox and Hayden Hurst is a perfect stack. Maybe I carry a third tight end somewhere else. Maybe a guy that has a little upside, maybe a guy that has some talent, or maybe somebody might trade me for him at some point, but I'm capping it out on three. Capping it out at three tight ends in a PPR format. Anything more You better be telling yourself there is a path to value gain. And a lot of times people will say that, but there really isn't. There really isn't a path to have Trey McBride as your fifth tight end on a PPR league. You have to almost sit there and justify the fact that you're wasting a roster spot on him. And there is a finite amount of time before you can say, okay, I'm going to trade him. I'm going to trade him for a second rounder because Zach Ertz gets hurt, right? Like that's the kind of thing you could justify doing, but you have to make the move when you do it. The mistake I see people make is they have Trey McBride as a fourth tight end on a team, Zach Ertz get hurt, and they immediately say, you know what, Trey McBride's going to be a stud. All of a sudden, they're carrying too many tight ends. So again, it's not that you can't bet on Trey McBride over Hayden Hurst or Dawson Knox or insert whoever, but just keep in mind your roster construction. You don't want to be in a spot where it's a PPR league and you're literally carrying more than three tight ends. It's an opportunity cost to you at another spot if you're playing it that way. So let's talk a little bit more about some other tight end premium formats, right? So you get into 1.5 tight end premium. So it gets a little interesting here. You know, you get into that median value or the replacement value of tight ends, uh, the tight end spot in a tight end premium. So we're talking 1.5 start one is 14 points per game. And the flex number, and again, this flex number is going to be slightly different because the tight ends move around within the flexes, is at 12.09 points per game. So slightly higher. But then when you look at the the tight end premium numbers, so we're just taking like tight end premium data from, I'm going to use 2021 data because I don't have it calculated right in front of you. But in 2021, if we use that number at 12.09 as the flexes, how many tight ends exceeded 12.09 points in a 1.5 tight end premium last season? And for instance, if you count them up, it is only a total of 11 tight ends did it last year. So again, 11, that falls short of the number of tight ends that have to be started across the league. And really, when you look at the distribution of these tight ends from last year, yes, there was 11, but there were a ton, specifically five that were within that 12 to 13 points per game in 1.5 premium last year, that were between 12 and 13 points per game. So again, Five of them that hung right around that flex value, and that's not even getting to the top 12. That's only from tight end 7 to tight end 11 last year. The top 6 were a little bit higher, and really you could use that top 6, if you just take last year's numbers, you could use that top 6 as a really, really loose cutoff point to where you're saying, I definitely would want to flex these guys if I have two of them on a team. And I think you start getting into a little bit of an advantage here if you have two of these top six. Let's just call it top six for the purpose of this exercise, but you get the point. Any given year, it could be a little bit higher or a little bit lower, but let's just call it top six. If you have two top six tight ends in tight end premium, then you can argue I can flex both of them comfortably where I'm not taking a perspective loss against flexing a wide receiver. And another thing that you're doing, and this is, I think, an underrated aspect of talking tight end premium, is if you play it like this, let's say you get in even in a start one, 1.5, where most people would say, hey, don't overvalue the tight ends. But if you can lock in two of those top six, what you've done is you've played a little bit of defense too, right? You've taken away the ability for another team in your league to match the early investment that you made. So let's say you go into a startup draft and you draft Mark Andrews in round two of the startup draft. The end of the second, you draft Mark Andrews. Now, part of what you're doing, if you then draft Dallas Goddard a round later, part of what you've done is you've said, okay, I've invested heavily in Mark Andrews. I'm going to protect my investment by limiting how many players available in the pool can match the investment that I already made on drafting Mark Andrews. So if I then draft Dallas Goddard, One, I've limited how many people can actually match him. That's one less from the pool that can do it. But two, I also know I can flex him really without any qualms that I'm setting myself back based on what's optimal. Because clearly he is a player that fits within that flex threshold. In fact, he's above it based on his historic production. He's above that flex threshold number. So I can comfortably say, okay, I've now killed two birds with one stone. You know, I've added a second tight end gives me a little more insurance in case Mark Andrews were to get hurt. That's another thing that we can't really predict, but it could happen. And you don't lose your singular tight end advantage if you do that, but also you have a comfortable flex. And in tight end premium, I think where people start to get a little bit off track is they say, okay, I can draft more tight ends because I can probably flex them at a higher rate. And the reality is no. If you look at the data, I already said there's only 11 tight ends last year that fit above that median average for the flex, even in 1.5 premium. So you don't want to be flexing the tight end 13, the tight end 10, the tight end 11. You know, you don't even really want to flex those guys that are at the low end. At best, they're neutral. They're not giving you any sort of advantage. You'd almost rather have a receiver in that same range because I think arguably the receiver has a higher upside week to week. So in tight end premium, what's the conclusion? It's really the same thing as in PPR. Your roster construction should be about the same. The positional advantage is expanded a little bit. There's more players that fit into the positional advantage when it comes to not only at the top, because the scoring is higher relative to the other positions at the top. So basically the gap between the tight end three and the tight end eight is larger because the premium is higher. And then the flex capacity is a little bit higher. If you have a top six At the position each week, you can flex them without problems. You can flex them as optimally as you would another wide receiver, and you get the added bonus of taking another player out of the pool. After that, though, you really don't want to be flexing tight ends at 1.5 tight end premium. You still want to play the same platoon system if you can. If you can't get one of those top six tight ends, go for the platoon. Same thing that I talked about with the PPR. That's when you look at who can I stack. Are they within its low-end tight end one, high-end tight end two range? Can I stack with both of my quarterbacks? And you don't have to play them both. Again, you don't want to draft Hayden Hurst and Dawson Knox on a team where you have Joe Burrow and Josh Allen, and the plan to be is playing them together. No. You want to pick one or the other, but having a stack at tight end gives you a little bit of an edge from a week-to-week standpoint where you can say, hey, I may not be able to match Mark Andrews with Dawson Knox, but if I have Josh Allen, there is a possible chance that in a given game, it is a higher opportunity for me to potentially match an elite tight end because I could have a big game and I get the stack with the quarterback that I already have. So that's how I play it in a 1.5 tight end premium. Three tight ends max still want to play the platoon system, I'm a little more willing to draft two of the early, early tight ends. And that's from where I talked about you get the advantage, but then you also nullify somebody else from matching your advantage. But that's it. You don't have an extra advantage in tight end premium by drafting more, by having more on the back end of your roster. If it is 1.5 premium or less, you want to stick to the same roster construction principles, three of them max. If you ever get to a point, and this is something I didn't mention before, but it applies to PPR and it applies to 1.5 premium. If you ever get to a point where someone else is willing to pay a premium for your non-elite tight end, so think about like Cole Komet before the season. He's a guy that fits square into this second tier tight end, platoon system tight end roster construction. Until somebody goes, I know I'm confident he's going to be the guy that elevates himself above that. So I'll actually pay you something for him. I'll give you a second and a third for Cole Komet. Okay. I can probably buy another player in that range that fits the exact same thing for a third. So let me just bank the free second. And that's all you're doing. You're just betting against the math at that point that someone else is willing to pay for a player they think can jump into a higher tier. Whereas I probably sit there and say, you know what, I'm just going to bet against that they ever jump into that tier. So that's 1.5 premium covered. It's basically the same as 1.0 premium. The positional advantage matters a little bit more and you have a little bit more capacity to have a second tight end if they're in the top six or top seven where you can flex them without regard. Where really in PPR, you have to have one of the top two. And if you don't have both, then there's really no point in ever thinking about trying to flex them. So we'll cover the other two premiums. Then we'll talk a little about the current tight end landscape going forward. I'll be back here in just 30 seconds. Welcome back. In the first part, we talked about tight end premium and PPR leagues, and now we're going to get into, I think, the premium that starts to matter a little bit more. When I say matter, we're talking 1.75 premium or 2 PPR. I know a lot of people are playing in these types of leagues with a really, really heavy tight end premium. And the reason why I say that's the cutoff point, and I talked about this in the Raz video or the Dynasty Leverage video that I referenced at the beginning of the show, the reason why this is the inflection point is because this is where you start seeing the tight ends spill over into the flexes. So let's dive right into the data. So I first talked about that flex number, right? So the flex threshold or the replacement value of the first flex spot in a 1.75 premium. So over the last five years, that has been right around 12.2 points per game. Or in this case, it's actually 12.23. So think about that number. That's what you have to hit to try to be in the flex comfortably from like a replacement value standpoint. Now you look at the tight end premium numbers from the last couple of years, we'll use 2021 as an example. In 2021 at 1.75 tight end premium, you had the leader at 22.4, but you had another 14 tight ends hit that number. So taking the leader plus the 14, you had 15 tight ends that exceeded that flex replacement value number in 2021. So now 15, you're sitting there going, okay, 15 is more than 12. Yes, that means that across the league, there are going to be tight ends that should be flexed. And in this case, in 2021, it just happened to be 15 of them. So when you think about it that way, you start getting into 1.75 tight end premium, and you say there's going to be more than enough tight ends for everybody to have an above flex level player in their tight end spot. And there's going to be at least three out there that should be flexed. And that's where you start getting into the idea of, I can now start looking at the tight end as a way to eat into my wide receiver threshold, right? I talked about that at the beginning of the show. We have a certain number of wide receivers because wide receivers are the dominant currency in the flexes, but not so much anymore when you start getting into these premiums. And in two PPR. So I'll just talk about the 2 PPR numbers because really I lump 1.75 and 2 PPR together. 2 PPR, the flex replacement value number was 12.37. And when you look at last year in 2 PPR, it was definitely more than 15. But if you're just talking about the numbers that exceeded the flex threshold of 12.37, you had another total of 16 tight ends that fit in that flex threshold or above that flex threshold. So the idea here is you get into these formats, the flexes start becoming viable with tight ends that are inside that top 16 or so, at least based on last year's number. And I think you can use that consistently. I know when I did the original analytics of Dynasty and check that out, I haven't really talked about that much, but in 2020, I wrote a tight end chapter in the analytics of Dynasty and I talked about all of this. Now it's using data from 2017 to 2019 But a lot of this stuff is the same. The distribution tables are the same, and it was around this same range. It was between tight end 15 and tight end 18 is where the cutoff point was for the flexes in 1.75 or in 2 PPR when you're talking about tight end premium. So then you start looking at these flex ranges a little bit different. You start saying in these formats, maybe instead of just carrying the three tight ends that I've talked about in both PPR and 1.5 premium, maybe I can think about a fourth, Or maybe I can think about a fifth. And really, the only rule you have to follow is is the player that I'm adding to that next spot still within that threshold? If I'm in a two PPR league, I really don't want to still be rostering tight ends that are outside of that top 18, top 20, maybe at the latest. But I'm okay rostering more than three if I can find five of them that are within the top 20 or so. Because I think. In that range is where you could find five that maybe could be flex-worthy and or start-worthy, and you can still play the same platoon system that you could have in 1.0 or 1.5 PPR, because you're still not hitting the positional advantage, right? If you have five tight ends that are between tight end 8 and tight end 18... You're really not getting any positional advantage from those guys. Really, you're just getting more options to play in your flexes if you need them. But they're safe to play in the flexes. They're not suboptimal like they would be in a PPR or in a 1.5 premium. So when you're in one of these leagues and you say, hey, I'm doing a new startup, and it's 2 PPR for tight ends how do I approach that? What does my roster construction look like? Well, you're still going to follow the same platoon system because really the platoon system of only three roster spots out of 28 allocated to a tight end is simply just because it's a start one and that's the positional distribution for the data itself when you're looking at the position itself. But then you think about the flexes. Okay, if it's a two PPR league, guess what I can probably do? I can probably look at that eight receivers and that three tight ends and say, maybe I can make that seven and four. Or maybe if I want to push my receivers out to nine and my tight ends at four, okay, I have a couple extra flex options, but I can almost combine them. So here's how I would play it. In tight end premium leagues that are one or 1.5, I'm sticking to three. So last week we established we have eight receivers, we have three tight ends. Now, when you're in 1.75 or 2 PPR, as long as you stay within this tight end threshold for those formats, so say it's tight end 15 to 20 being your max threshold of how far down you will go, I'm okay doing seven receivers and four tight ends. Maybe I do eight receivers and four tight ends. Maybe I do seven receivers and five tight ends. You can expand it, maybe a spot, but you can also combine the two and start saying, okay, my wide receiver threshold is starting to become my tight end threshold here a little bit too. If I have an extra tight end, I can actually flex that tight end 10 the same as I can flex that wide receiver 3. And that's the main takeaway here is when you're getting into these premiums 1.75 or above in start one, you can start looking at your tight ends within that threshold being your flexes. Just as powerful of a flex as starting your wide receiver 7 or your wide receiver 8. So to end this My takeaway will be if I'm in one of these formats, I'm looking at that eight number that we talked about last week, and I'm looking at that three number that we've talked about at tight ends, if it's 1.5 or 1.0 PPR, I'm going to expand that by a spot. Gives me an extra flex, but I can also look at that 12 number. So now it's eight plus four, or nine plus three, or seven plus five. You know, I probably don't want to go below seven for the wide receivers and I don't want to go above five for the tight ends, but I'm okay basically taking those 12 spots. So that's 12 out of 28 and I'm taking those and making them wide receivers and or tight ends as long as they fit within my wide receiver threshold and my tight end threshold that I talked about. So in 1.75, you're looking at like the top 15 in 2.0 PPR, you're looking at like the top 20. So as long as you roster players within those ranges, eat away. Take as many inside that range as possible. If you get more than 12, 12 I think is the magic number, then you can start saying, hey, I have some assets to liquidate. Hey, I have some assets to sell for picks. Maybe I can try to liquidate one or two of these pieces and go try to upgrade at my quarterback spot. So that's how I'm playing it. That's what the numbers say uh, with tight end roster construction. So we've gotten to a point now where we've worked through both receivers and tight ends. The takeaway being wide receiver threshold. I really want to have eight if it's PPR. If it's 1.0 or 1.5 tight end premium, I'm running with a platoon system, and the max I want to have is three. And if it's 1.75 or two PPR, I expand it by one spot, and I still want to have around 12 between the two. But in those formats, you can start blending the wide receivers and the tight ends together. So there we are. We've gone through tight ends. We've gone through wide receivers combined. You want to have somewhere between 11 and 12 based on what your premium is based on some of your other settings. But again, out of 28 roster spots, that's where we've landed through two shows we've talked receivers, we've talked tight ends. Next week, we'll talk either running backs or quarterbacks. I haven't decided how I'm going to formulate the next two shows, but rest assured, we will get there and tie it together next week when we cover one of the other two positions. So hopefully this was helpful. Again, check out that video that I did on YouTube over the summer, uh, Dynasty Leverage Tight Ends. Just Google that and it should come up. Or if you go to YouTube and just search it, it should come up and you should pull up that video and be able to kind of think about this stuff through the same lens. It talks a little bit more about how to identify tight ends in this range, specifically how to hit like historic top 12 tight ends. So if you're looking at those potential like flex guys, even in 1.75 tight end premiums, you know, what types of players are you looking for? And that's where I get into a lot of the RAS score data and what's predictive of future tight end production. And that's something that really was just a thing that I came up with uh, last year when really studying historical data for tight ends. I'm not sure how sticky it is, to be quite frank with you. Like I made a big prediction, like this has been very predictive if you go back looking historically, but I'm not necessarily sure that's going to be the case going forward. We're seeing like a really good rookie class of tight ends coming in this year. It's interesting because... Other than one or two of them, the rookies that have hit this year thus far um, are all high RAS score guys. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's predictive of a guy hitting early on or even hitting at all. It just tells you that eventually when you have tight ends that produce as top 12 or better, they're going to usually share certain characteristics. So listen to that. It's a little bit different than what I'm talking about here, but it still touches on the tight end position. And honestly, there really isn't a lot of tight end analysis out there. You get a lot of lazy analysis at the tight end position. You hear people say, oh, you know, it's tight end premium. Just keep taking them. No, that's not really correct. So hopefully tonight I've gone through enough for you to have an idea where you say, I'm going into a startup at the end of this season and it's 1.5 tight end premium. What does that mean? What are my goals? You know, how, how am I looking at that from a roster build standpoint? Where to attack when? And even if you make a big gamble, and this is something I haven't really talked much about, but even if you make a big gamble and you say, "Well, you know what? I know what Scott's saying about not wanting to draft the second tight end outside of this threshold, but I want to make a big gamble that next year Noah Fant rebounds and he actually becomes a top 6 tight end." So I want to draft him. You know, I think in 1.5 premium he could be a flex guy. That's fine. Just just tell yourself that And make sure you're aware of that before you pick him. Before you say, hey, Noah Fant is my guy. Cole Komet is my guy. I have to have him. Think about your format. In a 1.5 tight end premium, if you already have Kyle Pitts, think about what you're drafting if you draft Noah Fant as your number two tight end before a threshold receiver or before your third quarterback. And we'll talk about quarterbacks in a future episode. But just think about that. If you want to make a big bet on a player, fine. But really think about where you are at in your roster construction and where you might be at in terms of future value. Because even if you are out of roster construction alignment, what can you always do? You can always liquidate for future pick value or liquidate for value in another spot and get back into balance. But getting into balance, I think, is the whole key when you're looking at these rosters as a whole. So hopefully this was helpful. I didn't get a lot of time tonight to go through like the current tight end landscape. Honestly, that's going to be a work in progress. That's going to be a conversation we're going to have to keep having. I know Eric and I are planning on doing an America's Game show that's going to talk about like the young tight ends right now in this, especially this 2022 rookie class and really where they came out of nowhere. Is there anything we can learn? Because this was a class where a lot of them were available. And quite frankly, you look at guys like Daniel Bellinger, Greg Dulcich, like they had really high RAS scores. So they were on my list of guys that I want, but I think part of the reason that you don't take as many of those guys, because historically, tight ends take a while to hit, and you can also argue that if a guy like Daniel Bellinger goes out and just is okay as a rookie, gets a little playing time, but that's it, like he's not a starting tight end, then his value is going to flatline, and we see that all the time, where tight ends take a little while to develop, which means they kind of go stagnant for a couple years. And in this daily game of Dynasty, you really don't want stagnant assets. You don't want to draft five tight ends and go, you know what, I'm okay waiting until year three or year four on all of them, because it really has nothing to do with the production. You want a roster that's continuing to evolve and continuing to gain value. And a lot of times those rookie tight ends are not that. They might not end up being busts. They might actually end up being very good down the road. But rarely do you get rookie tight ends, especially four or five in a season where you go, man, I drafted them in the fourth round and they're worth a second because they're just good. People want them. So I think that's another big component that we're going to have to look at and maybe reassess some of my tight end evaluation data going forward. So with that, I will go ahead and sign off. Again, I appreciate everybody, everybody at Destination Devi giving me the opportunity. I appreciate all the interaction. I get a lot of follow-up comments from people on these shows. Hey, this really helped. Hey, I'm going to think about my league a little bit differently. Um, And I have to give some people a shout out that actually reached out to me and said, you know what, I listened to your episode, and I have a roster that I want to get into construction now. How do I get there? Like, those are the most humbling questions that I get. Because someone says, hey, man, I really enjoyed the show. But now I have a team that I want to do this stuff. Like, how can you help me? And if you give me that context, I'm going to get back to you. I mean, I say it all the time on Trades in Five. We do our roster review series over there where basically we we literally do 20 to 30 minute videos breaking down people's teams with all the same stuff that I talked about in these shows. And I say that all the time like if you give me a lot of detailed information about your league, I will be able to at least quickly dissect it and say, this is kind of the path that you should be taking. If you don't choose to take it or you like different players, fine. But I I am absolutely humbled by those questions that I get where people say, hey man, listen to your episode. I'm trying to fix my wide receiver threshold. Like I had that problem. I had too many roster cloggers. I've gotten rid of a couple of them. I made some trades. You know, where do I go? I'm trying to head into 2023. So I love that keep it up. I'll always get back to you. I always check my DMs. It may not be right away because I literally get hundreds and hundreds of questions uh, weekly, but keep them firing. Keep letting me know if you want to hear different things, different feedback. I appreciate all of it. Appreciate everybody at the DD team. Check out the newsletter as always. uh, It's com. Enter your email address. You can get the newsletter delivered to you each Saturday morning Friday night, Saturday morning, usually comes out early in the morning on Saturdays. Uh, You can get that each week. It has DFS, Dynasty, gambling, waiver wire stuff, anything you could think of. Injury stuff, tons of great information in there. I literally just sit there usually with my coffee, read through it, take a couple minutes to read through everything, and boom. A lot of great content. Support the people at Destination Devi. Uh, Thanks again, everybody that's tuned in for another episode. With that, I will go ahead and sign off for another episode of Destination Dynasty.